morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Zach. I serve on the tech team and also corporate team, obviously. Uh, we're going to be reading from Romans 11, 1 through 6. I'll give you a second to turn your Bibles there. Romans 11, 1 through 6. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scriptures say of, of Elijah, who he appealed, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is, what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too at the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Thank you. Well, good morning, everybody. I am uh, Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors here. If I didn't get to meet you uh, on the way in, please stop me on the way out. Um, I'd love to meet you and give you guys a gift bag. If you want to connect with the church, we've got, a, we've got gray cards on the wall and then a little table over there. You can just fill out your, your email or phone number or however you would like us to reach out to you. And uh, me or one of the other pastors will shoot you a text or an email and say, hey. Um, we are in the thick of Romans we're in Romans chapter 11, as Zach just read, um, and so there's, there's a bit out of this that uh, there's kind of a swell that we've been writing, right? And so I'm going to try to back up a little bit to kind of get us to where we're at as we, as we jump into this. Um, there, there's kind of, this one's kind of a weird, so all of chapter 11 has one subject, really, and so we have, and we're going to go back and forth, right? So I'm going to preach one through six, and then the small groups, uh, you guys, in, in your independent study, you guys are going to go seven through something, I don't remember, and then I'm going to come back and, and then do another segment, and then you guys are going to go back and finish it. So, um, so, it's kinda, so we're kind of looking at this in a very slow, methodical way. We're looking at um, Israel and how did God... Um, used and what was his plans and promise associated with Israel. And so at first glance, we kind of go, why do I care? <laughs> right? Like, wh how does that affect us? How does that affect me? How does that affect you all? Whether, whether you're Jewish or not, like, what, what Paul does here in Romans chapter 11 is that we should all care about what God is doing and has done with Israel. And, and so, so that's kind of the, that's the big subject in chapter 11 that we're going to work through. But in the midst of this, we're going to see, first today, we're going to see Paul do some, um, some good, faithful questioning of God. And we've seen this throughout, right? In chapter 9, he asks some pretty tough questions of God. Why is this happening? What's going on? What, you know, right? And he's trying to grapple with what God has done in, 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 in his life and in the people that he knows. And he's going, well, how... How does this line up with God's character? And so he asked some tough questions. But then what we're going to see is, he, well, and, and so as he answers that, he's going to look at his own life. And he's going to say, well, how, how has God um, 
been involved in my life? How have I seen God's character lived out in, in how he's treated me? But then he goes to Scripture, and he goes back to 1 Kings, and he looks at what God has done historically, not just through him, not just through the people that he knows, but what God has done historically. And so in both of those things, for us, I want us to watch as we watch Paul kind of wrestle with these things, because those are good patterns for us to do the same thing. When we question God's faithfulness, we doubt his love, right? what do we do with that? There's, there's a right way to deal with that, and there's a wrong way to deal with that. There's a faithful way to deal with that, and there's a faithless way to deal with that. And so what Paul does is, is he walks through this in a very faithful way, and what we discover, and this is the conclusion that we're going to get to here in a bit, is that God is faithful, that the rock won't move, <laughs> that his love cannot be undone. That's an important thing just sang a whole song about it, right? And so that's, and, and maybe in here you've walked in and you've like, I kind of just assume this. And especially if you're young, like you may be like, yeah, well, yeah, God's loving and I'm sure he's always loving. Yeah. Well, when you start tackling some tough things in your life, you start to question, is he really loving? Is he a puppet master up there? What is God's character? And so that's where we're going to see Paul dive into this this morning. Um, I have like three introductions, so I'm going to go to my next introduction here. So that's the first one, So because I, 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 I feel like i got to set this stage well. The second piece is that God wants us to know him. And we've said, I've said this before, right? Uh, God wants us to know him. He's revealing himself to us in Scripture. He revealed himself to us, and, and he does this because he wants you to know his character. He wants you to be able to sing those songs. He wants you to be able to say, I know that independent of what's going on in my life and the circumstances, I know that the rock won't move, that I can trust God, that he's faithful, that, that he isn't fickle, he isn't going to pull back, he isn't going to promise me something, he isn't going to say that he loves me and then, and then do like a head fake and, and change his plans. He isn't going to abandon us. This is important. This is, this is significantly important. And so where do we get this from? We get this from God's character as revealed to us in Scripture. And so this is why we go back to our Bibles. The Bible isn't just like another book that you read in the list of audiobooks and, and random books that are on your night, nightstand. Like, no, this is God revealing himself to us. Why? Because he wants us to know him because he wants us to be about his same purposes. We talked about this last week, right? He wants us. We have been called to proclaim the gospel. God wants the whole world to know the good news of Jesus Christ. And he said, you, and you, and you, and you, and me, all of us, we all preach the gospel. It may not be on a stage. We preach the gospel in our lives, with our coworkers and friends and family and all of that, right? And that's what we're called to do. We have aligned purposes with God. That's, we're, we're reconciled to God. We, we are going in the same direction if we have placed our trust and faith in Jesus Christ. And so that's where God goes, I want you to know who I am, and I want you to know what I'm about because I want you to be about what I'm about. That's, that's the whole purpose here. And so as he reveals himself here, we got to look at this and go, okay, how does this affect my life? It's not just this theological, Paul is not going down some like theological treaties about like, you know, 
eschatology and I mean I mean he, he does but but like that's not his entire purpose right it's very practical for us and so I don't want us to to jettison off in this and just start thinking about how God used Israel and 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 leave it there it applies it should apply to each one of us all right that was my second intro I think that's it all right let me pray <laughs> father we thank you for this time we thank you that you love us and that you want us to know you. You didn't, you didn't have to do that. You didn't have to save us at all. And so we humbly come before you, and um, God, we just ask that you would help us to see you more clearly, help us to understand your character, help us to trust in you. And Father, for, for people here that, that don't know you, I pray that, that the words today that we read and, and your word would just soften our hearts, help us to see your plan for us, what you want for us, where we can find peace and joy and contentment exclusively, and that's in being reconciled to you and trusting in your son. Pray that you would just be with us this morning, and that you would speak to us. It's in your son's name we pray, amen. All right, so there's a, so, so. There's a, bit of, there's a bit of backstory I have to go through. This is the third introduction. So, so Paul says, um, he, he immediately starts talking about Israel, right? And, we, and we've talked about Israel, and, and so we, we have to kind of know where, where the swell's been, right? So um, God chose Israel. God chose a group of people way back when, thousands of years before Paul's writing this. He chose Abraham. He calls him, and he says, you're going to be my people. The descendants from you, like, they're, they're mine. Why? And, and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna go back to Genesis, and we're going to kind of look to see what God was doing in this. And so he calls Abraham. Abraham obeys, and we go to Genesis chapter 12. You can turn, sorry, I didn't say this. The verse will be on the screens. You can pull open a phone. I'll be in the ESV is the, the version I'll be reading from. Or you can grab one of the Bibles that's kind of littered around here, although the font is extremely small. It's getting smaller every year. It's weird. Um, all right, Genesis 12, 3. God says to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of earth shall be blessed. So God picks Israel, not because he just like likes them more. He just picks them because he's executing his sovereign purposes. And what are his sovereign purposes? That all the peoples on the earth will be blessed. Like that's his, that's God's end state goal, right? Is that, that, that all the hills are going to be blessed. And we in here, this cornucopia of ethnicities and places that we've been from, we are evidence that God is, live, is doing this. He is successful in this. I would not know Christ. I would not know God if God had not revealed himself to Israel and then gone from there to non-Israel, right? To the Gentiles. Okay? And that's, that's what we are, right? Like, if you break everything down, there's God's chosen people, Israel, and then you'll hear the word Gentiles um, uh, or Greeks. That's everybody else, right? Um, which, for the most part, I would surmise that's most of us in the room. Doesn't mean it's everybody, but generally that's, that's most of us. So that's the first promise. And then we go to Genesis 17, uh, 7. There's a second promise here that he makes to Abraham.
He says, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring and you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. He says, I am not going to forsake you. Like, everlasting covenant, right? Like, he, he's not going to change his mind. <laughs> That's what he says, right? Like, he is not, this is, this is like, this is a really bad analogy, his, like, anecdotally, but I'm going to use it anyway. This is like wedding vows, right? I'm going to be with you, well, until we die. But we, what, what do we live out? That doesn't, like, most, like, well, 50% of the time, that doesn't end up happening that way. And so we kind of tr- overlay that back on God, and we go, well, I've seen people abandon me, so God could. No, that's not what it says. God reveals to us that this is an everlasting covenant between him and Israel. So what happens with Israel reflects back on the character of God. You with me on this? So if, if God abandons Israel, then we go back to Genesis 17, 7, and we go, well, if he abandons Israel, he might abandon me. You see how this directly impacts our relationship with God. Okay. All right. And then the next, uh, the next one, uh, Genesis chapter 22, verse 18. He says, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. In your offspring, like specifically, this isn't just like Abraham's going to, right? Like like there's going to be a genealogical thing that's going to happen. Something is going to happen through Israel. Jesus. The Messiah is going to come through Israel. That's, that's part, that's like the third part of the promise. And you can go back and read through the prophets in the Old Testament. This is what they were constantly saying. Like, God chose Israel. He used Israel. He promised to Israel. And then he said that the Messiah is going to come from Israel. And so these are the three kind of pieces. There's a lot more, but those are kind of the three big pieces that we look at. And we go, well, did he do those things? Jesus came exactly as prophesied. I mean, all of the prophecies of Jesus that happened well before he was here on earth, like, lined up perfectly. And so we look at that and we go, well, it it appears God kept that promise. It appears the fact that we're all here and we know God and we're studying his word means that he's kept the second promise that all the nations are going to be blessed. So the, the third promise is what? That he would not forsake Israel. That he, would not, that he doesn't change his love. That he, does, he isn't fickle. That he isn't going to reject you. That if you reject him, hold on to this, that doesn't mean he rejects you. And that's important. Because we are extremely fickle. We go through places and times in our lives where we're really far from God. That doesn't mean God rejects us. In fact, if you read this week in Romans 10, 21, it says, all day long I've held out my hands to disobedient people, obstinate people. No, God's standing there, and he's like, come back, come back. 
Jesus says, oh, that I would have gathered you as hens, right? Like, like there's this affection that God has for us, and, and we reject him, and Israel rejected him, clearly, and we're going to see that. But God goes, my promise stands. I love Israel. My love does not change. Okay, so I, I, that's kind of the, the foundation that we're, that we're jumping into here. And so we get to Romans chapter 11, Verse 1, and Paul asks the question, I ask then, has God rejected his people? Because what did Paul see? Okay, now this is tough for us, right? Because we're 2,000 years later. But for Paul, what did he see? This was, this was meaningful to Paul. Because he saw all, for the most part, he saw all of his Jewish friends rejecting the Messiah that he clearly was like, I don't understand this. He said the Messiah was going to come through us. He fulfilled all the prophecies. Why don't you believe in Jesus? And so this is where Paul is at. This is a very personal thing for Paul. And in fact, that word rejected his people is like cast off, shown away, like, like his back turned. And so Paul asks this question. He says, has he done that? Has he rejected Israel? Because if the answer to that is yes, like I said, then that means for us, we go, I got to be careful. I got to make sure I stand up straight. I got to make sure I do all the right things or else God might smite me. And, but what have we been reading? That's not how that works at all, right? We're, not, we're saved by grace, not by works. We're saved by God's love and mercy poured out on us. He's given us Christ's righteousness, right? Like, like we, don't, we don't appease a wrathful God because we, we do a couple good things in our life and we try not to do bad things. Jesus took on the wrath of God on our behalf and gave us his righteousness. And so that great exchange... That is the good news of Jesus Christ. That's why we say it's only through Jesus, because there's no other way that that exchange happens. There's nothing you can do with your sins. You can't, like, steal something and then apologize, and that makes you unsteal it. It doesn't work like that, right? And so it's exclusively through this. And so Paul is wrestling with this, and he goes, he, he, has God actually rejected Israel? Go, go back to Romans chapter 8, verse 38. Let's just make this really tangible for us. Romans 8, 38. Here's the promise to us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Unless we do... Oh, that's not what it says. Period. Circle the period. You got a Bible open. Circle the period right there. That's it. So again, I say, if God is going to go back on his promise to Israel, then, then this promise in Romans 8.38 and all the other promises for us, we go, eh. And so this question is a really important question. And Paul responds really quickly. And he says, by no means. And that's like, that's like a really firm, I know it, it, we don't use that expression, but it's like, not a chance. Right? Like, Paul is very clear. Has God rejected Israel? Not a chance. And he's going to give two proofs. He's going to, he's going to look at himself. He's going to say, I, God didn't reject me. And then he's going to look 
back in Scripture, and he's going to show that God's faithfulness has endured. So that's what we're going to see this morning. But this is tough for Paul. Go back to Romans chapter 9, verse 2. We read this uh, a couple weeks ago. Actually, I'm going to start in verse 1. It won't be on the screen, but... Paul says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. I think Brian preached on this one, right? Didn't he? Could you imagine? Do you? That's a bold statement, that, that I would be cursed and cut off from God in order for you to be saved. I, I want to say that I could repeat that, but I, but I, I, I can't, frankly. I mean, I, I want you to be saved. I want you to know Christ, but, I, but, to, but to go to the, to the, to the side of, eternal damnation, that, that's a love that's, this is, Paul is not wrestling with a theological problem here. You with me? He is wrestling with my friend, my friend that I read the Torah with, the people that I knew, that I did life with, that we celebrated the Passover with, right? Like all of these things, he's like, these people, like they, they aren't getting it. And this is, this is anguish for Paul. And so Paul, what Paul does is he looks at himself and he goes, no, first, I know that God didn't reject Israel because of me. <laughs> He's like, I'm an Israelite. I'm not rejected, right? He says this in the, in the rest of uh, verse 1. He says, I asked then, has God rejected his people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. He's like, I can give you at least a data point of one. I know <laughs> that all of Israel has not been rejected because I, I am here. But it's not just that Paul is there. Paul's not taking credit for this. And now you, you kind of have to go back and get a little bit of the background of Paul. He, he used to be named Saul. And he was named Saul. Um, and he did not believe in Jesus. He rejected Jesus. In fact, he tried to kill people that did believe in Jesus. We, we read this in um, Acts chapter 9. What I want you to read as we read this, or what you, I want you to think about, is what was, Paul's, what was Paul's decision in all of this? Listen to Acts chapter 9, verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, Jesus, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, that's what they called Christianity then, Men or women, he might bind them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, neither ate nor drank. And you can go on and read the rest 
of 9 and 10, and you, and you see what, what Paul does. Like, Paul doesn't go and confer and go get his theology right. He goes, he starts preaching the good news. He, he is fully convinced that Jesus is the Messiah. What his friends that he had celebrated the Passover with and that, that he knew, that he read the Torah with, and like, he was part of that, and he goes, I, I didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, but now I do believe that Jesus was the Messiah. See, this wasn't a decision for Paul. Paul wasn't like, you know, drawing up a thesis and like figuring things out. Like God chose Paul, right? Like clearly God chose Paul. Paul did not choose God. God chose Paul. And so God, in his sovereignty, decided not to forsake Israel. He picked one person at a minimum out of Israel to continue to save. So, so we're, we're a little bit better, right? Where we're like, okay, well, clearly he hasn't rejected all of Israel, but man, saving one, that seems a little light. Like, shouldn't he have, like, shouldn't more people? Like, I feel like if God was really trying to accomplish these purposes, maybe, maybe he would have been a little bit more effective. And that's what we start to think, and we start to get wrapped around our human understanding of how these things operate. And so, so Paul does a second thing. He goes back and he looks at Scripture. And he goes, no, I don't think God forsake, forsook Israel. I know God didn't forsake Israel because God doesn't forsake Israel. God doesn't forsake us. He doesn't, he doesn't reject us even when we reject him. So go back to, uh, I'm sorry, don't go back yet. Go to um, verse 2, Romans chapter 11, verse 2. He says, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know that the scripture says of Elijah how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets. This is Elijah speaking. Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars. And I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what does God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. If you have a Bible, highlight that I have kept. I have kept for myself. That sounds pretty sovereign, doesn't it? That sounds like God's made a decision. He's like, don't worry yourself. I have kept for myself 7,000. Now, here's the thing, and this sermon would have been really, really long if I went through all this. Go, I, I, I beg of you. Go read 1 Kings 17, 18, and 19. It, it'll take you 10 minutes. It's so good. It's so good. Because you're going to read stories that you heard probably back when you were kids, and they're all disconnected stories, right? Like, hey, I remember, I, yeah, God talks to us in still small voices. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when Elijah brought fire down from heaven and burnt up the offering. And yeah, I, you know, I, I, I know about this, like, you know, where he stopped the rain from falling. Like, we've got these as, like, these discorded, disjunct stories. They all happen in these chapters, and, and this is what happens at the end. Elijah has done these incredible things. God has done these incredible things through Elijah. Anybody here caused a three-and-a-half-year-long drought and then chose to bring the rain or decided, like, right, like, in, interceded with God and then brought the rain? He has this, like, uh, sacrifice off with like the other prophets, the, the fake prophets of Baal, and it's like, hey, you guys bring down fire from heaven and burn up your offering, and I'm going to do that with, with my God, and we'll see whose God shows up. 
and Yahweh shows up, right? I mean, like, there's these amazing things. In fact, it's so amazing that, like, at the end of it, it the, the, the people actually believed in God. There's like this, it's like one sentence. It's like, and they, and they fell on their faces, and they worshiped God. You got to imagine Elijah was like, this was it. This is what I was here for. Everybody's repented. It's a, I don't know why I lose words every once in a while. Um, what's the thing with a, a revival? I'm like, what's the thing with a white tent? Um, like, it's like, it's like, it's a revival. Everybody's right. Like, this is amazing. And then what happens is Ahab's the king. His wife is Jezebel. She's horrible. She killed a bunch of God's prophets. And she sends a message to Elijah. Sends a message to Elijah. I don't know how this gets there. Telegram, whatever. And it says, I'm going to kill you. And Elijah freaks out, runs to the desert, and then falls on his face. And, and you can actually read this in uh, 1 Kings 19, verse 4. After all of that, Elijah runs out and says, uh, but he himself went a day's journey in the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and he asked that he might die, saying, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father. Deep depression. And he's going to go on. He's like, and he's going to say, like, God, exactly what Paul quotes. They're, 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 they're not, they're, they're rebellious. They're, they're doing all these things. Nobody loves you, God. I'm the only one that's left. And there's more in that story, and it's, it's really good, especially if you struggle, like, struggle with, like, your own thought life, right? Like, like sometimes these thoughts seep in, and you're like, is that a real, is that, is that truth or not, right? And, we're, and we navigate these things. And I'm trying not to extend the sermon. It, those chapters are just really good. Because, because Elijah, on his way to go tell Ahab this, meets Obadiah. And Obadiah's like, I saved a hundred prophets. I saved them. I hit them in the caves. And Elijah's, yeah, yeah, cool. But somehow Elijah totally forgets that. And then he says to God, I'm the only one alive. No, dude, Obadiah just told you there's at least a hundred. So we've gone from one, Paul, and then Elijah's like, there's one here in this time. And but really, there's 100, and then God tells Elijah, there's 7,000. But sometimes we just get wrapped up, and we're like, but I want to see it. I want to see the drama. We think that if we see a miracle, that, that that's it. I, I don't, just, why doesn't God just, like, reveal himself to us? Like, I don't know, some big flash in the sky, then I would believe. And God goes, no, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. That has nothing to do with it. In fact, he's, Jesus is very critical of, of the people following him. He's like, you guys just want to see signs and wonders. It's not going to create faith. Trust. Recognizing our sin, recognizing our depravity, recognizing our need for Jesus Christ, like recognizing our need for God to save us and not us save ourselves. That's, that's what matters. That's what we need, right? And so, so it's this beautiful thing. Read the chapters. I think I just summarized all of it. But anyway, so, but why does Paul point to this story? Because Paul felt like Elijah. Because Paul's going around and he's preaching. And, and maybe he gets a little bit of good news and then, and then it seems like, and then nobody comes. And uh, Let's read through some of those. Go to Acts chapter 13. 
verse 44. This is on uh, Paul's first missionary journey. And it says, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. So it's great. The whole city is coming. Paul's like, yes, this is it. Time for the revival. This is going to be so good. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, meaning the Jews. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And so Paul's sitting here, and they're, Paul and Barnabas are preaching, and, and like all these people are gathering. He's like, this is going to be so good. And then like all of the people that Paul knew, that he had Passover with, right? That, that, that he had read the Torah with, that he had spent, right? Like this is, you can't just... It's so easy for us when we read back into these stories and we're just like, yeah, that's what it was. No, Paul was a dude. <laughs> Paul, Paul had feelings. He had thoughts. Like, he was navigating this stuff. These aren't just, like I said, like, don't think of Romans as, like, just this theological treatise. Like, he's, he's working through this stuff inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this stuff down for us. And so, so here, he, he's sitting here and he's like, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I had to go to the Jews first because God told me to go to the Jews first. You guys apparently don't want eternal life, and so I'm going to go to the Gentiles. That's what he says. Okay, here's what's amazing. On his second missionary journey, go to Acts chapter 18, he's still preaching to the Jews. Well, why? Did he just lie? No, he's struggling. He's like, I mean, I know I said that. He was in Corinth. He's like, I know I said that, but like, I'm still going to the Jews. He's still holding out hope. He's like, I'm going to see a revival. It's like, it's going to happen. Now look at what it says in Acts chapter 18, verse 5. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word. That's a cool expression, isn't it? Occupied with the word. I didn't really think about that um, for Parent's Day. That's maybe a, maybe we should be more occupied with the word. <laughs> He's occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ is Jesus. So here's Paul. He's like, I know I said that, but he's going because he cares, because he loves these people, because he knows these people. He's like, it's so easy. All the prophecies. Like, how do you not connect this to Jesus? It says, and when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So Paul feels like Elijah. That's why he goes back to Elijah's story. And he goes back to Elijah's story, and he remembers what God said to Elijah. He says, there's 7,000 that I have kept for myself. I think Paul grabbed onto that, and he's like, I'm going to keep preaching the gospel. I don't know what I'm going to see. I might not see anything, but I'm going to keep preaching the gospel. Last week, we talked about preaching the gospel and how we are all called to do that, Right? But it's easy to get discouraged because it turns out we don't see people's hearts change in a day. And frankly, if we do, we, we doubt it. <laughs> and so what do we, what do we, what do we see? We, it's it's kind of like we're just like throwing up, like we're just throwing out the stuff and planting seeds here and there and saying some, some truths and trying to, 
trying to reflect Christ in the world, and it's like it kind of gets discouraging. And you kind of go, you know what I can do? I can, I can occupy myself with things other than the Word. I can occupy myself with, with sports, and we can have wins and losses, and we can try really hard to do stuff, and we can have like an accomplishment. We like accomplishments. I can, I can work really hard at my work, and I can get a very tangible accomplishment. I can get money. I can get success. I can get accolades. That's nice. I can pour into my kids. I can have, like, the perfect 2.3 kids and, like, have this perfect little family and a three-car garage, and, and I can have, like, a this, and right? And we, and we dream up these things, and we, and we pursue them. Why? Because it's easier. Because we see it. We see success, failure, success, failure. When we're preaching the word, we go, yeah, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just, I was told to preach the word. I was, I was told to be alive. We were called to be ambassadors. So, I don't know what's happening. Maybe you see a baptism. Maybe you see some, some great piece of salvation. And then like the next week, you hear about some, something bad happening in the church or, or your friends or something, right? And you're like, ugh feels like it's a losing streak, doesn't it? For every one that gets saved, it's like 20 are gone. You're like, what are we doing here? That's what Paul felt. That's what Elijah felt. And that's what we feel. And so we, we drink from the cup that is worldly pursuits. Listen, I'm there. <laughs> I think we're all there at some points, right? It's just more tangible. I like doing like some woodworking stuff. I'm not good at it, but like, but it's easy to produce something. It's easy for me to go, that was pretty. Good job. Good job being occupied with that. You see, I think it's so easy for us to get occupied with things, isn't it? Because I didn't. And we got to ask ourselves, wh why? Why are we being occupied? I mean, man. Last couple of weeks I've been occupied with. <laughs> Sorry, I'm a mess. Uh, you know, I, we get occupied with dumb things. We do. I spent like four hours trying to get. It's funny, don't worry. <laughs> I spent like four hours trying to get a nut off of a stupid spindle on my lawnmower yesterday, right? Like, golly. <laughs> Quick side note so I texted Dave. I'm sorry, I'm just going to. This is going to lighten this situation for me and you, but don't let it lighten it for too long. Be convicted. Um, <laughs> so I called Dave Connect finally after four hours, and I'm like, I'm sure he's got a tool or something. I don't know. I've done everything. I'm, I'm all over Google, every YouTube video. I'm watching all these dumb advertisements now because I don't pay for YouTube premium anymore. Anyway, <laughs> I'm very bitter. I'm getting frustrated. And... 
And I called Dave Connect. I'm like, dude, how do you get off? Like, it's, it's just stuck. Like, I, you know, I got, I'm using everything I know from a physics perspective to make this work, and it doesn't work. And, and he asked me, well, how, <laughs> how many, how, how much PSI do you have on your impact wrench? And I said, 18 volts. <laughs> if you don't get that joke, like, anyway. <laughs> but... But my, <laughs> it doesn't in my notes. I just anyway. So, but that's my point, right? Like, what am I, what am I, what am I sacrificing the time? I mean, frankly, you guys, I didn't. I mean, if you're in leadership in the church, you saw me send out my sermon. I sent it out at like 4 p.m. yesterday. You know what I was doing between 12 and, and three or one, 11 and three? I was working on a stupid bolt. Not doing this. I mean, I shouldn't have, anyway, that rolls back into the, further on in the week. But, but that's my point, though, right? We get occupied with things. And, and it says that Paul was occupied with the word. And maybe, I don't know, I, like I said, that wasn't even uh, part of my sermon. But, but I think that's so good. Because we get occupied with so many different things. And, and we get occupied with them because they're, it's idolatry. It's where we can go and we can feel good about ourselves. And if we don't feel good about ourselves in one place, well, then we can go to a place where we do feel good about ourselves. And we get a little bit of a win. And we get a little bit of a success. And God goes, I want you to be about my purposes. I want you proclaiming the gospel. I want you to do the same thing Paul was doing. Preach the gospel. You're not going to see all of the glamour and all of the lights and all of the amazing stuff. Doesn't matter. Build relationships, disciple each other, be united in Christ, know each other, be convicted, pursue Christ, preach the gospel. Romans 11.5, Paul says, so too at the present time there is a remnant chosen by if God preserved 7,000 during Elijah's day, when, when everybody was, apostasy was all over, people were, idolatry was all over, everybody rejected God, like they were sacrificing to these other gods, like it was just dumb. And God goes, I've kept for myself 7,000. And Paul says, if that was true then, it's true now. God is sovereign, and he loves Israel, and, he's, and he, loved, he has not rejected them. Verse 6, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Paul goes, it's, it's not based on Israel's law keeping. That's not what saves them. It's not what saves them at all. In fact, he goes back to, or go back to Romans 9, 6. This is when he asked that first question. He says, but it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. I didn't put it on the slides, but verse 7. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Why? It's not all Israel. Like this isn't God's, God's love and, and, and choice and, and using of Israel isn't, isn't just this ethnic group. I mean, it was for a time, but... But Paul goes, 
it's not, it's not that it's all Israel. It's just because you're born in it, just because you go to church, just because your family's Christian doesn't make you a follower of Christ. Just because you are a Jew doesn't make you, not all Israel are Israel. But all Israel, all the ones that trusted in God, God's preserving. There's a remnant, and it's chosen by grace. And, there, and the same is true for us now. And so we can look back on this, that God's promises to Israel, and we're going we're gonna to keep on, there, there's more to this. So if you're like, if you're, if you're a little bit more, like, you know where this is going, there's still a lot more we got to unpack through chapter 11. But as, as he's doing this, like, this should give us confidence in God. Confidence that God is faithful. And what we're going to see is that even when, in fact, let me turn it up here real quick. This one won't be on the screen, but Micah 4, 6. Just listen to this for a second. In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away and those whom I have afflicted. That word afflicted is rejected. It's the same word. In the, in the Septuagint, in the Greek version of the Old Testament, it's the same word. He says, and the, lame I will ma- uh, sorry, and the lame I will make the remnant and those who are cast off a strong nation and the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion and from this time forth and forevermore. Sometimes we feel rejected. It's not permanent. God's standing there. He's waiting. It might be discipline. It might be our own rebellion that walks away from God. But he's waiting for us. And his love never fails. And we can sing the same song that we sang earlier. The rock won't move. God's there. The question is, are we being reconciled to God? Are we trusting in God's promises? Because from what I can tell, the God that reveals himself in his word is faithful, and he's worthy to be trusted. Let me pray.